Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Good morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Maria Carsey. I'm going to be reading the scripture this morning. Just got to, you know, figure this out here. Okay, our scripture this morning is first, uh, Mark 1, 35 through 45. Yeah, of course. Mark 1, 35 through 45. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So they traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See, you don't tell this to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as, is, uh, as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet, the people still came to him from everywhere. Thanks, Maria. We're going to go ahead and dismiss our kids now. So if you're kindergarten through sixth grade, you can head out the back to your kids' classes. And whenever our kids leave, we encourage you to pray for them as they go. I hear they have a lot of fun back there, so someday I may sneak back. Well, it is good to see so many of you today. Isn't it, uh, I guess let me ask this question, are you adjusting to the weather change? It's so interesting how we acclimate, right? So in the fifth, when, when the weather hits the kind of mid to low 50s, in the spring, man, everybody starts putting T-shirts and shorts on. When the weather hits the mid to low 50s in the fall, it's the opposite. Like we're putting uh, jackets and scarves. And I, every, I feel like every night this week I've gone to bed just cold in my house. So the seasons are changing. Um, but, you know, as we continue to gather together, I'm just reminded of this last year and a half. And, and I'm so grateful for our church. I'm so grateful how we've, we've stuck together. We haven't let some of the things that have really... Um, ripped apart so many churches, um, divide us. You know, I've heard of church, people leaving their church because they had to wear a mask, which is just crazy to me. I've, I've, I've heard of churches being ripped apart because of politics or because of racial strife, and I've been so grateful how our church has been able to stay together, to have tough conversations, and, and yet to extend grace in our differences. I mean, this morning alone, I saw um, both the Rams and the Cardinals represented in our church. And, like, if that's not a testimony to the grace of Jesus that we can worship together, I don't know what is. So. Um, this morning, we're, we're continuing in uh, the series of Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark. 
And um, we're just uh, a few weeks in, um, still in the first chapter, as we've been deliberately going through um, these verses and asking ourselves, what is this showing us about Jesus? Um, And what does it mean to follow Jesus in this current day that we're living in? And if we're following Jesus, what are we inviting others into when we tell them about Jesus? Um, the, the phrase, that, the, the word that Scripture uses is the word disciple. So if we are to make disciples, then we are to be disciples. What does that look like? And so in order to answer those questions, we've been getting back to the beginning. We've been trying to kind of rediscover Jesus and his ways. Um, in, a, in a confused world, we need clarity. We need to understand why we believe what we believe. We need to understand what this is all about. I was thinking about our gathering this morning, and how many of you, when you're invited to like Christmas uh, dinner or Thanksgiving dinner, you show up, you, you know, somebody, whoever's hosting it says, hey, dinner's at five. You show up right at five. Like almost nobody, right? You go early, and you hang out, and you have appetizers, and you get ready for the main meal. I feel like sometimes when our gatherings on Sundays, we we treat it like a meeting more than a family gathering. We go, okay, if I leave now, I can be there right after the first song. (laughs) Or I can be there right on time as we walk in the door. Um, And so I just want to encourage us to, to, to be reminded that Sundays is not a meeting. If we treat it as a meeting, we miss out on what it's really about. It's really a weekly family reunion. And so I just want to encourage you, especially if you're new to our church, we try and intentionally set up Sunday so that it feels like that. That's why we have food and drink. We have an opportunity, a space to gather. If you've never been to church before, you've probably been in a a place that feels like our bistro, if you've been to a Starbucks or a cafe. Um, We have pre-service prayer downstairs where folks show show up early to begin to pray for you and to be able to pray for the needs of the church and the ministry in our community. So let me just throw out uh, to you and to all of us to to make sure that we're oriented rightly in our thinking about our worship gatherings, that we see it as more than just a a, a checklist on our Christian duty or a thing we have to go to on Sunday. Think of it like Thanksgiving. Think of it like Christmas. So this morning, I want to encourage you to open your Bible to Mark chapter 1. Um, Maria just read for us our part of our text. We're going to go a little further than she read. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the pew in front of you. The page that you can turn to is 859 in the pew Bibles. And we're going to continue on looking at really three scenes this morning in Jesus' ministry. And some of these you probably heard if you grew up in the church. You're, you're probably familiar with these stories But we're going to look at them hopefully with fresh eyes, and we're going to be asking ourselves some questions. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What have you been taught about Jesus? And the other question I want you to think about is, who have you made Jesus out to be? I'm going to pray towards that end this morning. Father, I ask this morning that as we read this verse, this passage about you, that you would open our eyes, that you would draw us close to you, that we could put ourselves in the first century hearing this for the very first time, seeing you for the very first time. And Lord, you would stir us up to see you rightly. And Father, that out of this, we would worship you. We go, oh, you are worth following. You are worth belonging to. Would you rekindle that in us? Would you fill us up this morning with your spirit? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So who is Jesus? 
Some say Jesus is a good man. He's a prophet. He's a mystic. He's a teacher. But we know from Jesus' own words, what he spoke and what's been recorded about him, that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He is God in the flesh. And as God, the character and nature of Jesus, like who he is, is awesome. And I don't mean awesome in the contemporary version of the word, like we go, man, this cheeseburger is awesome, right? Or that was an awesome football game. No, no, no. I mean in the, in the original definition of the word, that when we see Jesus for who he is, he is Awesome. He's awe-inspiring. We can't help but say, wow, look at Jesus. Look at who he is. So this is who Jesus is. But what have we been taught about Jesus? Well, we've been taught that Jesus is loving, right? Yes, he is full of love. But Jesus is also full of justice. He cares about the marginalized and the poor and the oppressed. That is why he came to proclaim good news to those that are oppressed. So Jesus is loving, but he's also a God of justice. Have you been taught that Jesus forgives your sins? Well, yes, he does. But Jesus forgives your sins, and then he says, now obey me. In other words, stop sinning. So Jesus is the good news incarnate. The messages that he preached, the power that he demonstrated, he is awesome, and he is good, and he is loving, and he is Full of justice. So then the other question we ask is, who have we made Jesus out to be? We as individuals, we as a church, we as a society, we have this thing that's kind of inherent to us. This thing where we want to make Jesus in our own image. We want to make Jesus acceptable. We want to make him like a genie who just fulfills our wishes. We want to make Jesus our homeboy, where he just always approves with everything that we do. And in some cases, we literally, literally want Jesus to look like us. Uh, Probably one of the best demonstrations of this is uh, from uh, a very famous and very influential painting of Jesus. It was painted in 1940 by an artist named Warner Salmon. Some of you have seen this before. Now, I don't have blue eyes. I don't have that jawline. But Jesus, in Warner's eyes, probably looks a lot like he expected him to look like, like a white European. He's pretty good looking, right? <laughs> but this is not Jesus. First of all, nobody knows what Jesus looks like. But second of all, he definitely didn't look like this. Jesus was far more brown-skinned than he was white-skinned. He had most likely dark eyes. In fact, one of the times I was doing missions work in East Asia, I was literally in a hill tribe with no electricity, and we were working with a church there. And this church came to being because one of the leaders of the village became a Christian, and the whole village ended up becoming Christians. And so they built a building uh, it's a place that they could worship. And we, a group of us, were there to help them do some work and help kind of encourage the church in this hill tribe in Thailand. And we walked into this building, and I looked on the back wall, and I saw this picture. And I, I wanted to throw up. Because 
this just what does this perpetuate? That, that Christianity is a Western white man religion, and it's not. It's a Middle Eastern religion, right? And I saw this picture, and I just, everything in me wanted to tear it down. But we do this. We make Jesus literally in our image. Now, uh, I've seen a couple depictions of what Jesus probably more looked like. And uh, in our current age, uh, we can use a lot of scientific data. And so somebody crunched a bunch of, of data and came up with kind of closer to how Jesus would look in the first century. I'm going to show you this picture. But he's really good looking. Uh, and he, probably Jesus, he says in scripture that he wasn't that good looking to look at. He was kind of an average guy. But anyways, here's an idea closer to how Jesus would have looked. This is a Middle Eastern man. This is where Jesus came from. So this morning, as we continue on in our series on Mark, we're going to look at, at three scenes in Jesus' life. And we want to see Jesus for who he is, for what his words communicate, what his life shows us. So we're going to look at three scenes, two of which Maria just read for us, in, starting in chapter 1. If these are familiar to you, then uh, try to avoid the temptation of tuning out. If these are new to you, then I hope this morning you might see Jesus for who he is for the first time. So the first scene is in Mark chapter 1. And if you were with us last week, you saw Jesus uh, begin his public ministry. And he healed folks and he cast out demons. He dealt with demonic influences in the culture. And as Maria read just a minute ago, uh, very early in the morning, one morning, Jesus withdraws from the place that he'd been doing ministry and he begins to pray. It says that he went off, got up early, went to a solitary place to pray. Now at this point, Jesus had disciples, Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John. And I imagine they were feeling pretty excited about what was happening because they were with Jesus, and Jesus was attracting a lot of attention. So they were with kind of the man, the man of the moment. And so Mark chapter 1, 35, 36, 37 shows this depiction where Jesus is praying, and Simon rushes in, and he says, what are you doing? Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied in this way, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So Simon wants Jesus to come back to the crowds. He, he wants that, that public ministry to continue. But Jesus' response is, uh, we got to go somewhere else now. A, a couple observations here. One is, when did Jesus pray? It says he prayed when it was very dark. I am not a morning person. So I take that to mean uh, if I stay up late enough, then it's morning, right? That's probably how I'm more I'm oriented. But what, what I saw from this was no matter how busy, the minist how busy ministry is, how busy life is, Jesus was so intentional about his relationship with the Father that he always found time to pray. We make so many excuses about the time that we don't have, yet we watch endless hours of Netflix and play endless hours of video games. So even Jesus, as he's modeling his relationship with God, finds that time to pray. But what's really going on here, uh, apart from what this, this moment of prayer, this, this thing that Jesus models in other places in scriptures too, his dependence and his relationship with the Father, what's really going on here is that the word is out. 
So this is early on in this story of Jesus, but the word is out. Jesus has healed folks. He has cast out demons. And and as we read, Simon saying, everyone is looking for you. And so Jesus' response is, let's go somewhere else. Not exactly what you would picture, right, with somebody who's becoming popular, somebody who has influence. And even we could say, well, why wouldn't he stay there if he has an audience? Isn't this why he came? But Jesus had a message. Say that with me. Jesus had a message. Jesus had a message that he wanted to get out. Now, Jesus has and will again perform miracles. But here, sandwiched between the stories of his miracles is a very important scene. Jesus prays. He prays as a sign of his connection to the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus prays because we know from his prayer, that prayer prepares us for mission. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I am tempted when I'm preparing my message to just do the work, to just sit in the text and start writing. But if I don't pray, I feel a major difference in my preparation. So prayer prepares us for what God would have for us, whether that's your work that you're about to engage with, whether that's time with your family. Like if you pray, God centers your heart in a way that nothing else can. So Jesus models this. And we know that right now Jesus' mission was to preach because Jesus had a message. He doesn't let the roar of the crowds sidetrack him from what his purpose is. Now, Maria already read what happens next. After this time of prayer, after leaving one location to go to another to begin to preach to more people, there's this scene where a man with leprosy comes up to him and begs him on his knees, if you are willing, will you make me clean? Now, leprosy is kind of a catch-all term. There's legitimate diagnosis of leprosy, but there was lots of skin diseases in the first century world. Leprosy was a a, a disease that was... uh, would eventually cause your flesh to rot and your fingers to fall off in such a way it was torture. And so there would be in Jesus' day whole colonies of folks that had leprosy because they were pushed out of the city. They were untouchable. They were unclean. According to Jewish law, you couldn't even associate with them, let alone touch them. So this man comes up to Jesus, begs him on his knees for healing. He'd obviously heard something about the power of Jesus. And he says, if you are willing. And Jesus was like, if. (laughs) He says he reached out his hand. He said, I am willing. And he touches him to heal him. We'll get back to why that's significant in a moment. So then after that, we see Jesus sends him away with a strong warning. Maybe you've wondered about this. Why did he do this? He says, see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. What happens? (laughs) Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So there's a a bit of uh, first century Jewish culture happening here. First of all, nobody, like I said, nobody touches people with skin diseases. And if somehow your, your skin disease was able to clear up, people still won't have anything to do with you until you do one more step. 
until you present yourself to the priests as clean. They check you out and they say, this dude is good or this lady's good. Then you can re-enter society and resume your life. So Jesus does two things that powerfully connect with this message that he's preaching. One is Jesus touches him when he heals him. Jesus didn't have to do that. We'll see Jesus later heal people without needing to touch them, without even needing to be in the same space as them. But Jesus touches this man, and he becomes clean. We see this presence in the Father heart of God. We see that God always desires to be with his people that are suffering. He doesn't withdraw from you and me when we're going through tough times. He doesn't ever say, oh, you're too much of a sinner for me to be present with you. You're too sick. You're too untouchable. No, Jesus is with us. Jesus draws near to us in those times. So Jesus touches him, which is a direct violation of Jewish law and of the cultural practices of the day. But then Jesus then tells him to follow the law. He says, go and get the rubber stamp from the priest that you are clean so that you might re-enter society again. Now, remember, Jesus came to this location to avoid the craziness of the crowds, so he asks the man to keep quiet. Don't say anything about this. Just go to the temple, tell them you're healed, re-enter society. Why does he do this? Well, for the same reason that he left his previous location— For Jesus, the real change, the eternal change, the the truly transforming change starts with knowing and responding to the truth of his message. The miraculous, the miraculous things reveal the authority of Jesus, but signs and wonders don't change hearts. Truth does. Jesus Truth starts from the inside and works to the outside. If you think signs and wonders change people's hearts, you don't have to look very far. Look at the book of Exodus. Look at the story of the Israelites. Plague after plague after plague didn't change the Pharaoh's heart. He still was in rebellion to God. Provision after provision after provision still didn't keep the Israelites from making a golden calf and worshiping it instead of God. Signs and wonders don't change hearts. The truth of God changes hearts. And so Jesus is most concerned as he's preaching. He's he's still going to do these things to demonstrate his authority, but he wants people to hear the words coming out of his mouth. He wants them to hear the truth. I remember I was a youth pastor uh, for a number of years in eastern Washington, and once a year we'd get a bunch of youth ministries together from different churches, and we'd have one big youth service. We'd have a thousand kids show up, we'd have a special speaker and a band, and it was this just really fun event and a great demonstration of unity in the Spokane area. One year we had a speaker come in. And he was a dynamic speaker, and he was engaging with the students, and they were all hanging on it, kind of every word of his. And he opens up his message talking about himself. And he begins to tell this story about himself. And he says, yeah, you know, I was such a bad kid. When I was younger, I used to fill up a squirt gun with my own urine 
and running around and squirt kids. And, you know, shock value, right? So the whole place, a thousand kids were roaring in laughter. And you know what they remembered after his message? They remembered that. That's all I remember. (laughs) And even as I began to tell that story, I thought, that's probably all people are going to remember today. Dang it. Shoot myself in the foot. (laughs) We can create a spectacle. We can draw people into a story. But what are they going to remember in the end? I remember years, some years later, I was not a youth pastor anymore, and I, I ran into a student at a paint store. I was getting some paint. And I looked at this young man. I thought, man, he looks familiar. And he looked at me and said the same thing. And then he says, oh, were you a youth pastor? And I said, I was. He says, oh, was it Fuel? That was the name of our youth ministry. I said, it was. He says, oh, I came there once. It was so great. And I was like, oh, wow, this is great. This is what you live for as a youth pastor. And I said, wow, that was great. And the only thing he said was, we played this one crazy game. And he's not, he wasn't part of a church. He wasn't connected to Christ. And I thought to myself, huh, is that all that we did? Is that all that was memorable for my time as a youth pastor? Now, here's the thing. We can't control how people respond. We can't control what people remember. And Jesus knows that too. So there's grace there. But what Jesus is most concerned about is not even healing people, but it's about the truth that changes people's lives. That was his primary mission. So Jesus tells this dude, keep things under wrap. He doesn't do it. (laughs) And you know what I would have done if I was around in those days? Probably the exact same thing. And if it was these days, I would have Instagrammed about it or Facebooked about it. I would have went on a, you know, TikTok, whatever y'all do. I don't know. I would have done probably what everyone else was doing. Man, look at this guy. I'm going to check this out. I mean, I've got sick relatives. I'm going to bring them to him. Like, I probably would have drawn, been drawn to the spectacle like everyone else. And there's a problem when we're, our hearts are drawn to the spectacle. Number one, sometimes it drowns out the truth. We, we're, we're, we're looking for something to fill our immediate needs, and we can't hear anything else. And sometimes the other challenge with this is when the spectacle is not there, we just walk away. We've talked about, uh, I've heard pastors over the years say, what you do to draw people in is what you have to do to keep them in. And so if it's just about an event, just about Sunday morning, just about doing these things, there's no life transformation there. And this is still true today. Miracles are not the message. What folks really need to hear today is the truth about Jesus. They need to know him and know his truth. But, but let's not swing too far the other way either. I'm not a cessationist. I believe that God still moves in miraculous ways today. And without the power and the presence of God, then the words are empty. I can exposit scripture. I can preach a good message. But if there isn't the power behind that message, it's dead. So there is still a power and a presence. And this leads us to our final scene. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and we'll read this together. Oh, I don't know if the slide got in there, so you'll have to just listen to me then. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So a few days after this man didn't listen to Jesus and started telling everybody, Jesus again entered Capernaum. He He had to move around. The people heard that he had come home. 
They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And what did he do? He preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? We'll come back to that. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So go back to the question, what is your image of God? What is your image of Jesus? What do you think Jesus will accomplish for you? I love the faith in action that is displayed by these friends. In the first century, most roofs were flat. They're made of stucco or tile. And so these friends were so desperate to get their paralyzed friend in front of Jesus that they went on the roof and literally tore a hole in the roof. That takes some guts, and some faith, right, to do that. And and like the disciples that had first responded to Jesus' call, these guys didn't know everything about Jesus, but they knew enough. They knew enough to take this step. What a beautiful display of faith. And Jesus calls that out. And I think for us, one of the things that I'm challenged by when I think about, think about this is, do I have that kind of faith? I often pray what I call um, kind of second-guessing prayers, right? Like folks are sick and they're, or they're dying, and I go, Lord, would you, I know you can heal them. Thank you for medicine. Would that medicine work? But if it doesn't, would you also work? And if, if it's your will, will you do it? But if it's not, I'm okay. Like, I'm just like, how do I pray? These guys weren't worried about any of that. They said, Jesus can heal. We're taking our friend to Jesus. The rest is in his hands. And I think so much of our our lives, we, we talk like we depend on Jesus, but we act completely different than that. What faith? Now, how does Jesus respond to their faith? Sons, son, your sins are forgiven. Uh, That's not quite why we're here, Jesus. Uh, In case you didn't notice, he's on a mat. We just ripped a hole in the roof because there's so many people. We were hoping maybe something else. At least he could limp out of here or something. I don't know. And we know what the religious folks were thinking. Jesus knows what the religious folks were thinking when he said that. They say he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Aha. This is significant Because Jesus doesn't deny that he is God. This is actually the very first announcement in Mark's gospel that Jesus 
is God. Jesus is God. How many of you have heard this story before and you focused almost entirely on the healing and you missed the greater point of Jesus' proclamation in this moment? That he is revealing himself as God. I, I, I grew up in the church. I, I've seen the flannel graph of this story. I have the kids' Bibles. I like five of them that show this story. The focus is always on the healing, never on the power of Jesus to forgive sins. Never on the fact that this is an announcement that he is God, that he can both forgive sins and heal people. He can break the law, the natural law, and he can fulfill something in the spiritual law. This is where the sovereignty of God goes beyond what we normally experience. We as humans, we try and treat symptoms, but God heals diseases. We analyze effects. God deals with the causes. We live on the surface of life, but Jesus plunges into the depths of our hearts. And God will plunge to the depths in us when we open our lives to him. Jesus, as he encountered these men, they didn't know much about Jesus, but they knew enough. And Jesus said, that's enough faith. Now, I'm going to go even deeper. First, I'm going to start with what matters most. Your sins are forgiven. In response to the faith of these friends, their paralyzed friend is forgiven of his sins. And in that moment, all of the anger that this paralyzed man had probably had, all of his self-pity that he probably dealt with, every impure thought and deed that this man had acted on was forgiven. And in the presence of Jesus and through the power of God, this crippled man was made whole. And as the sign of a sign of the power and presence of God in the face of doubters, Jesus then gives a tangible sign of what happened because you can't see sins being forgiven, can you? At least not immediately. And so he says to those doubters about his divinity and about his power, which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's the point. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And this is the response. When God works, the natural response is worship. This is awesome. I can't but worship in this moment. Like the people walked out praising God in that moment because of what had happened. So I opened with the questions, who is Jesus? What have you been taught about him? What have you made him out to be? These three scenes are incredibly helpful in answering these questions and I think realigning us with what it means to know and to follow him today. Number one, I think we need to be super intentional and strategic in this day that we live in to cut through the noise in our life. We are consumed with chatter. 
whether it's radio, TV, your phone is probably the biggest source of that. There is always things coming at us. There's always things vying for attention, trying to get us off track of what we're about, supposed to be about. And so we see Jesus sandwiched between these stories of fantastic miracles. He found time to just be, just be with God in prayer. So I encourage you as a believer, find times to cut through the noise, to just be and sit with God. The other thing we see in this that I think is so important is that we continually need to hear the message. Uh, we can't hear the truth about God enough. I've been thinking recently about who I typically make God out to be, what things I latch onto about who he is that are true, but I avoid some of the other things about him because God is massive. His attributes are many. Like I said earlier, he is a God of love and grace and of justice. He is compassionate, which is why we see him healing people. But he will also call us to holiness, which is sometimes hard. So we need to hear the message. And the, the primary message is that Jesus forgives your sin. That which would keep you away from God is your sin. Your sin is the impossible chasm to bridge. You, you can try and be as good as you want, and it will never be good enough. And you know that. We know our own failings. So let's not lie to ourselves anymore. We can't be sinless. And so Jesus promises us that he will forgive our sin, that he will remove its power, and so that even though we have remaining sin, we're not going to be perfect that will not keep us from knowing God, from being loved by God, from being able to walk out in the purposes that he has for us. This is the power that Jesus displayed. And he demonstrates it tangibly through miracles, through healing. Some of you haven't experienced that. Some of you don't know if God's ever spoke to you. And I would encourage you, if you need that, if you need a demonstration of his power and his presence, ask him. Ask him. Again, we're not seeking miracles. We're seeking Jesus. We want to know his power. And so you just pray, Jesus, I just need to know your power. I know you forgive me. I've heard the messages, but I need to know it. I need to experience it. I need to feel your, your presence in my life. And we want to pray with you toward that. We want, to, we want to be a church that experiences the power and the presence of God. You don't need to know it all. You don't need to be a... a, a a theologian, you don't need to know the scripture from front to back. You need to know enough to have faith to just take a step toward him. To just know that he is who he says he is. And then watch and see what happens. So this is who we want to be as a church. We want the message of Jesus to be central to everything else. So we as a church, we, we are centered on the truth of God. It's what we measure everything by. But then we, like Jesus, seek to live out that truth in tangible ways. So when we feed folks, people say, man, why are you doing that? Oh, let me tell you about this man named Jesus. He provides for me more than I could ever ask for. And so we want to do that to demonstrate his love. When we wade in to cultural issues that have to do with oppression or how people are being treated, 
And people say, How, why do you as a Christian think about those things? We say, because God cares about those things too. He cares so much that he showed up in our space. He came down to deliver us from our own sin. And sin is the cause of all of this injustice. Jesus dealt with it. And we want to be part of that as well. We want to partner with him. But we want to start with the truth. It has to be on that. That's who we are as a church. So I want to pray for us to that end. I want to pray for you specifically. If you haven't asked Jesus to forgive your sin, may today be the day that you take that step of faith. And if you're a Christian that's been sidetracked by so many other things, I encourage you to get back to the basics, get back to the message of Jesus. Let that be the standard. So, Father, we ask this morning that we would be this kind of church, a church that experiences your presence and your power, that Sunday would not just be a meeting, but it would be a family reunion where you and your message are central. That our church would not just be a thing that happens once a week, but Lord, we might be able to demonstrate the power and the presence of your gospel throughout our week in our workplaces and our schools. Holy Spirit, we need more of you, not less. So Father, I ask that you would meet us where we're at. But Father, that we wouldn't stay here, that you would continue to lead us as disciples. Continue to empower us by your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.